Welcome to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show where I feature peaceful bridge makers. So basically, I try to find people who are making peaceful differences and changes within their own life and the life of their communities. And here I have my my guest, Mr. Steve Slocum. Uh, Steve Slocum is the uh, peace activist and founder of uh, Salam USA, an organization, nonpartisan, nonprofit, and not religious, making amends and pieces between uh, Muslims and non-Muslims within the United States. He also has a book that caught my attention, Why Do They Hate Us? Making Peace with the Muslim World. So welcome, Steve. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to see you, Sarah. So the burning question I have is um, I really want to know what really bothered you. What truly bothered you that you thought, this is something I want to do. I want to dedicate a few years of my life talking about peace and and making men's definitions. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so since I served in Kazakhstan for five years back in the 90s, uh, I was a missionary there. It was, it was a quite life-changing experience for me in many ways, uh, which is another story. But I got to know the Kazakh people who, who was a, were Muslim background people, and um, they were wonderful, kind-hearted, generous, hospitable, friendly in every way uh, towards me and my family. Uh, we just came to love them. Uh, and so that five-year period ended, and not long after that, um, 9-11 took place, and their the, uh, narrative about Muslims became so predominantly negative that just... I started to to feel that personally, and that you know these are my friends you're talking about, uh, and I know they're not like that. Uh, so that's what motivated me to get out of my chair and speak up uh, about some of my experiences. I, I have the it's not completely unique, but there are not very many people who've been lived in both worlds. So I have, and I have something to say about that. So in the book, uh, you do go back and forth, uh, perhaps seamlessly, between when the prophet was uh, as a nomad, just going different places, and you are taking your family in Kazakhstan and and different places. So I want to see, uh, how did you become to uh, structure the story itself, the storyline, so then becomes um, to, 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 to put together the ideas? Well, um, yeah, I thought really hard. I, I processed it a lot. I um, really thought deeply about it and connected in with what I felt the the main areas of misunderstanding or of, of misconceptions from uh, going through my own experience because I had them myself. Uh, I went I, when I went to Kazakhstan. I had all the same ideas that uh, most people have. Uh, these days about about Muslims. And um, so I went through my own process, my own process of connecting the dots of learning about Islam and what it's really about and how it really started, who Muhammad really was, and um, what the religion is really about. And then connecting the dots to why did these um, men fly aircraft into the World Trade Center towers? I wanted, I wanted to connect those dots in my own head. And so my book is basically that process uh, to connect all the dots for 
Americans to understand both um, who Muslims are uh, in contrast with who these men are who flew the aircraft into the World Trade Center Towers. So who are these people? Who are these terrorists who are trying to kill other people? Well, they're, they're definitely not religious people. Uh, what they're doing, and, and this was this was something that, that I learned because I didn't realize this, uh, but they're completely motivated 100%, 100% by political events and not by anything that they're reading in the Quran or that their religion is teaching them. It's 100% political, and you can understand that easily by simply reading their manifestos about why they did what they did. Mm -hmm. And then... But, but here's the thing, Steve, um, here's the thing. We are the almighty power, the United States. We have the biggest uh, military. We have a military might. We have uh, the, big, the superpower in many, in any area that we could think of. Uh, business, trans, business, international uh, fund transactions, um, travel, everything, everything. And for that, we are also mastermind of making wars. Mm -hmm. Making wars in different nations and different um, different countries, and we have, I mean, in your book at the towards the, the 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 end of the book, you just mentioned many of those wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, and so forth and so on. So, wouldn't you think that uh, perhaps also it's because of what we do, we create distrust and perhaps hatred? Yes, absolutely. Uh, when when I say their motivation was was political yeah that that was only half the story <laughs> what what triggered that those political um issues that they had that, that were so powerful for them that they were willing to do something like that and yes uh it's a history that goes back really you could say to the to the early 50s and of course i know you know uh far more about this than i'll ever know uh but the uh the overthrow of the first democratically elected government in iran by the cia operation ajax and from there it's been just a steady stream of intervention um and, and i won't say it, it wasn't nefarious in the sense of you know, uh, the CIA and the U.S. government were trying to do bad things. They were responding to uh, the Cold War, and there was uh, a lot of fear about another Russian domino going down uh, in the Middle East. And so that's what motivated the foreign policy in that region. But unfortunately, uh, it was very uh, self-serving and didn't take into account how it would affect the actual people of that region. And so the, the people of that region were actually deeply affected. and and it triggered um, a, a lot of animosity. And of course, those on the extremist end of it decided to act on that animosity. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm not going to have you, you know, to explain all the <laughs> wars and everything is happening um, and triggered by the United States. But um, it seems that, I mean, at least in my in my own experience, going, uh, growing, uh, growing up during the revolution and then going through at least one war within within Iran, I know that the answer to violence and war is not not violence and war. So therefore, in your book, you have lessons and manifesto <laughs> about or or uh, steps or uh, stages that we need to do to take care of the issue. Tell me about uh, the solution that you're offering. Yeah. So you know, political people, governments, and extremists will 
do their thing and continue to have their issues and uh, work them out in the ways that they do. Uh, governments probably, hopefully, a little bit better than the extremists do. Uh, but anyway, then there's the rest of us. Those of us that just live on the ground, grassroots people, uh, we have neighbors, we have friends. What do we do? Do we, do we accept the narrative as it's presented, often for political motives, or do we reach out to our neighbors? And so that's what I propose. It's undeniable there's a strong kind of anti-Muslim sentiment and a, and a fear that's based in the trauma that occurred um, at 9-11. And so uh, how are we going to overcome that? Are we going to uh, sink into it, um, believe it and let it uh, fester inside of us or are we going to overcome that? And so that's what I propose is overcoming it in very simple ways, uh, very normal. What are the ways? What are the ways? By, by friendship, by mm -hmm. reaching out to your neighbors, your Muslim neighbors and just having a conversation with them, inviting them for coffee. Are they Muslims as open? Are they Muslims open? What do you think about Muslims' response? In my case, it's always been good. I mean, I, I sense a certain guardedness. I mean, and, you know, unfortunately, they, the first thing they wonder is, am I working for the FBI uh, when I go into a mosque? And, and yeah, it's funny, but it's true. <laughs> they really do wonder that. And so first, it takes a little time to build that trust. You have to build trust in, in, on two levels. One, that you're not working for the government, and two, that you don't have some sort of other motive like convincing them to become you know, a Christian or something, that you just want to be their friend for no other reason but the inherent value of the friendship. Mm -hmm. Inherent value of the friendship. And then um, they see that, they understand it, and they want you back to their, to their gatherings. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll visit the mosque, but it doesn't necessarily happen to be there. I meet a, an imam for, you know, for a burger in, uh, in a restaurant uh, near the beach uh, here in San Diego. And we're just friends. <laughs> we're just, we just like each other. We, we talk about the same things everybody talks about. What do we talk, talk about? Oh, we talk about our families. We talk about vacation plans. Of course, not, not these days, uh, but back then we did and um yeah just everything um how's your burger <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so what are the differences you think between um these two communities perhaps i'm comparing the muslim community the american muslim community and christian perhaps a majority white uh, americans in the united states what are the um i mean have you seen or what are the striking differences between them oh well i mean part of me wants to say there really aren't that many differences but the other part of me um recognizes that there probably are i think culturally people from maybe from areas of the, of the world that might be considered, you know, Asia or the Middle East are, are more community oriented than Americans are. Uh, we tend to be very independent. And, um, and whereas a Muslim type background community, they, they, they tend to find each other and hang around with each other. And, you know, they, they they value their family and um, connections and so they they spend time with each other, and so this can be mis this can be misinterpreted, you know, that that they're uh, kind of doing have a fortress mentality, and we're just going to get together with ourselves. There's a there's a lot of nuance behind why that happens, but I do see that as 
as something that 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 possibly creates a little you know a ne- negative ideas on, on the part of non-muslims so i'm just curious uh from your from your perspective what kind of changes or adjustment you think that it's uh, doable within the muslim community so then they feel more at home wow well that's that's a really interesting question i can tell you what i did when i went to kazakhstan mm-hmm. i was you know i mean there were there were a handful of us americans there that was it and we were so alone so i made the choice that I wanted to um, integrate into the culture. And one of the things that I learned in my training before I went overseas about cross-cultural adjustment is that one of the best ways or, or, or even a measure of your adjustment is if you are getting your emotional needs met from the, the people of the region instead of from the expat community. Uh, it's much easier for me to go hang out with my few expat friends Uh, than it is to go uh, sit on the floor and drink tea and listen to people talk to me in a language that I'm barely getting. And it's extremely stressful uh, when, when that's going I get on. it. <laughs> but but um, even though in the beginning there's a, there's a spike in your cultural adjustment because it's so difficult, they find that y- your long-term adjustment is much better if you get to the point where your emotional needs are met by friends from the local culture rather than from the expat culture. So I really strove to do that and strive to do that and, and I it, it worked. I mean I did. My friends, people I, I love them. They were my they were my close friends. They met my 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 emotional needs and it, it really helped me. One of the things that happens also if you if you stay siloed Uh, within the expat uh, culture is that within that silo, you begin to point outward from that silo and say, oh, see what they do. Oh, see what they do. Oh, see what they do. And we don't like this and we don't like that. Whereas when you're when you go outside of the silo and, and really develop your friendships from that culture, you're, you're much less likely to do that. So we are here uh, talking with Steve Slocum, author of Why Do They Hate Us? Making Peace with Muslim Communities. You are listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. Steve, what is your recommendation for, um, for native speakers, American, uh, in, in regards to their relationship with the Muslims? Yeah, I had a, an experience just this past week, which which really highlighted this for me. Um, I posted a uh, a little a little review, uh, little post on Facebook, and and uh, and boosted it as a kind of an ad for 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 books. Talked about some of the um, mistreatment that that was taking place. Um, the subject of you know Zoom bombing, where certain groups are having their online meetings and they're getting they're getting you know bombed by people who are against them and just blow them up. So I, I, I talked about that, but anyway, so what I, what I noticed when I did that was that many, many people, and this is using Facebook metrics, many people uh, were supportive in the sense of liking what I said, but those who were against what I said, they went way beyond just clicking, I, I don't like this. They posted a lot of vitriolic Uh, post that basically the, the whole post got taken down as a result of this. So the first thing that I really want to say is that it's it's not enough to just have it in your heart that you have 
uh, uh, love towards your Muslim neighbors, good thoughts towards your Muslim neighbors. Um, it needs to go further than that because there's a very active uh, effort uh, on the on the other side of that. So please uh, get involved. Please don't just uh, keep it inside of yourself. Please stand up for your Muslim neighbors and friends because they are being uh, systematically targeted. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing would be uh, just make friends. Uh, get over that that shyness, that that awkwardness, that uneasiness. Make conversation. Um, have coffee. Do whatever you're comfortable doing uh, to get to know your Muslim neighbors and and just get to know them. Just find out who they are. Have them tell their stories. You tell your story. Share your stories and get to know each other. And that's when we find out um, that we're all really just the same, even though we have these cultural differences, we, we start to realize that cultural differences are very minor compared to our common humanity. That would be a good beginning. Excellent. So uh, cultural differences is very minor compared to common humanity. How did you find this in, in Kazakhstan? Well, yeah, that was, it was amazing because I mean, I'm, I'm a master's degree uh, engineer, aircraft designer. I'd worked in that field for probably uh, 15 or 20 years uh, before going to Kazakhstan. And then in Kazakhstan, I'm meeting basically, uh, it, it's an indigenous people. Uh, they had been somewhat forcibly settled by the Soviets at that time. But so there was a huge, huge, huge cultural contrast. I mean, it was, it was incredible. But here I am finding myself uh, sitting on the floor and these, these gentle, uh, humble, loving people were my friends and were such friends that they were meeting my emotional needs. It really does become, you know, after, after a time, and when you're sitting in front of someone that you know very well and you've, you've spent a lot of time with them, you're not thinking about your cultural differences. You don't even notice them. You just see their soul and you just talk to them and enjoy their company. And that's the level that we need to get to um, over these sometimes seemingly insurmountable cultural barriers. I, I wonder how your personal experience plays into reaching out to people. Well, I mean, I'm an engineer and engineers by very nature tend to be introverts, geeky, nerds. Um, you know, I, I fit that that um, stereotype very well. It was um, a real stretch for me um, to to do that. And, and it continues to be. So, yeah, um, from a personality perspective, it, it is difficult. When I went to Kazakhstan, I was actually a, a missionary. And missionary, yeah. My my role, my my goal uh, there was to um, convert Muslims to Christianity. So yes, that was uh, it, it. Did it did play a role? Luckily, um, during that time, during my five years there, um, I just want to say that. Uh, did they I, I, transfer you? I mean, and convert you from whatever it was to uh, Islam? No. No, no. I, I did not. I did not convert to Islam. Um, but well, I want to be clear in that I, I my circle is is larger. I really I go, I go to the mosque and I pray. Uh, I, I stand foot to foot, shoulder to shoulder with my brothers. And I say my Allahu Akbar with them. That means God is great. And I mean it with them. But I'm not a Muslim. And I go. I can go into a church. I can preach, uh, speak to them, 
sit in the audience like everyone else. My circle is large. I understand that we're all really just the same, all trying to connect with the, our best understanding of what, what we think uh, the creator and, and creation is, uh, and we're all the same. And so that, that's my emphasis now. Tell us about Salam USA. Salam does the things that I recommend in the book. It brings people together. We have events. We've really obviously taken a hit with this uh, coronavirus because our whole focus is live events. Um, we bring diverse groups together. Uh, every like what? Tell, tell every me. Oh, every yes, yes. Of diversity you can imagine. Probably the most diverse event we ever did was a queer-friendly iftar. Speaking of uh -huh. Ramadan which is coming up tomorrow. And I don't know how many times that's happened where we have that level of diversity coming together in the United States in a Muslim context to celebrate um, iftar after a day of fasting for Ramadan. So yeah, those are the things that just, I really get excited about events like that. So if it's all about friendship and peace and getting together, so where is hate? So really the title of my book is not a question that I have. That, that's not my question. That is a, a direct quotation of George W. Bush several days after the 9-11 attacks. So my book is about, is about making peace with the Muslim world. Uh, but I did want to address George W. Bush's question. And so that's why the book is titled that way. But, but hate, hate is there. It really is, and I really noticed this on the, the Facebook post I was talking about. I mean, it was it was disturbing. It was really, really disturbing. I mean, it, it affected me deeply, the things that were being tell said. Me, tell me more. How did it affect you? Tell me. Well, it, it, it made me feel in some ways like it, it's, it's almost hopeless for some people that they're so deeply... Now, now, here's the thing. I don't know whether these were just, you know, fake Facebook accounts throwing stuff out or whether they're actually really people, real people who really believe these things. I, I, I don't know. I can't tell. But but the things that they were saying were just were just disturbing. The power of the propaganda that has been coming out, uh, the, the, the misinformation campaign um, saying things that are being said about Muslims um, is, is so effective. Uh, and there are people that that so deeply believe these things without having any real knowledge of the community that they've developed these feelings for. So, so here's, here's my challenge, Steve. Uh, um, okay, so I'm from Iran. And then back in Tehran, it was uh, sort of the same propaganda against Americans um, just feeding in all of those negative mm -hmm. uh, negative connotations, negative stories, ne negative news about the United States to the public. Mm -hmm. But do you see people, I don't say that all Iranians are in love with Americans, it's, it's not the case, but I know that there is not uh, the propaganda that the government is uh, imposing on the public and then it's not working. So I wonder what is the magic here in the United States that we do see many of those propaganda that you just mentioned. So what do we do it really good here? In terms of the uh, 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 extremists, the people who are putting out propaganda, it's working. It's working. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't think I know the answer to that, but I, I can say that 
in my events. Um, you know, obviously, I don't I don't go set up events in the in the heart of uh, you know people that are, are, are full of misinformation. But I, I do events with with people who are who are open minded. But what I find is that uh, number one, there's a great energy to learn about our, our Muslim neighbors. Uh, they 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 love to learn. There's our first our first event was was just packed and there were so many questions and it was it was wonderful there's just a huge energy to learn but the second thing that i learned that even in these folks that are generally you know good-hearted folks and and they they don't harbor a a race or negative kind of feeling in in any bone of their body but at the same time i find that when you start asking them questions uh, and they start asking questions you, you realize they have the exact same misconceptions they just don't act on them so uh, yeah, there, there are those those two things going on, which makes you know the work that we do about awareness um, important. But as far as why it's so effective, I mean, I mean, there's it's it's a well known um, fact. It's well researched. There's several reports out about it. Uh, what's known as the Islamophobia industry, the Islamophobia network in the United States, where there are literally millions of dollars being pumped into uh, creating this misinformation and uh, really effectively disseminating it, um, you know, from a public relations perspective by the best of the best. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very effective campaign. Here's my last question, and I promise to ask you the question. Mm -hmm. So, so um, it's a, perhaps a challenging question, and that is, why do you think um, a Muslim community need to uh, listen to someone who is a full-fledged uh, white American who is not Muslim and just happened to be a few years in, in a Muslim country? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's a fair question. Um, number one, um, I, I explain it in two ways. Number one, I absolutely do not speak for the Muslim community. I, I don't do that at all. Obviously, the Muslim community, all of its, all of its, and all its diversity and facets, can speak for itself. Uh, but here's here's the way I describe what I do. Uh, to me, it's like on the one side we have Muslims who are speaking their their truth and and uh, talking about their lives, and then we have Americans often steeped in misinformation on the other side, and they're not hearing each other. There's there's this fog uh, in between the two. So I consider my role to be clearing the fog of misinformation so that actual clear communication can take place between these two groups. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm not going to close the program. I promised uh, Steve to close the program with um, thoughts or statements or things that he thinks uh, we should know or he want, uh, or the statement that he wants to share with us about peace and the, the wonderful work that he does. I guess probably for me the most important thing is uh, just what I've, uh, some thoughts I've been uh, pondering about uh, how we, we do community uh, on the planet. We've gotten, you know, a, a real deep lesson from coronavirus, which knows no distinction of any kind between any human. And so it makes me think that, what about human sociology? What, what is our sociology? Our sociology has been uh, something that we have kind of observed and what uh, humankind does and that is that we we form communities 
uh, which is which is normal around things that we have in common, whether it's religion, whether it's our gender, whether it's our age, our hobbies, anything. But uh, that was in a time these sociologies developed in a time when the the world was not so connected. You know, the the only connection we had in those ancient times was any physical connection on the fringes of our own communities. But now humanity has developed uh, technologies that allow us to travel anywhere in a day and allow us to be in uh, actual communication with anyone anywhere in the world in a moment. So my thought and my hope is that we as humans will begin thinking about a new way of doing community, a new way of doing sociology that involves adapting to the world that we have created for ourselves, a world that has us all basically, you know, in each other's faces all the time. We can we can do that. So what does that need to look like? And um, the biggest thing that I think is that we need to stop, well, not stop, but do less of meeting together in our silos of commonality and intentionally focus on creating community around not just groups that are similar, but taking 50% of our time to do community with those that are different from us. Thank you, Steve. Here I have uh, Mr. Steve Slocum with me. You are listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. Khoda Hafiz.